0: Well, good morning again, everyone. If you have your Bibles, we are in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 14. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and Stuart or Richard will get Bibles to your seats so you can follow along with us. else need a bible just raise your hand we got a bunch all right if you don't own one consider this a gift don't let richard charge you for him he's not gonna do that second timothy chapter two starting in verse eight the apostle paul writing to his young son son in the faith timothy he says this remember that jesus christ of the seed of david was raised from the dead according to my gospel for which I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things, and we'll stop there this morning. The title of my study is, Time to Remember. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, Lord, to <clears throat> open up your word, and to know, Lord, that you're here in our midst, desiring to speak to our hearts, truths into our lives that would change us and draw us closer to you and conform us more into the image of your son. And so we thank you for this opportunity to gather together. We pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that is yet to make the commitment to follow you, to surrender their hearts to you, if they're not born again this morning, would you especially touch their heart, Lord, as we uh, dig into your word today, Lord, that they would see their need for you and they return to you. Thank you for this opportunity as well to uh, just gather in communion uh, this afternoon, this morning as well, Lord. Just pray your blessing upon all that you do here this morning. It's a story I found about an older couple. They were having problems with their memory. And so they went to the doctors just to make sure that there was nothing physically wrong with them. And so they arrived at the doctor's office and explained to the doctor about the problems they were having. And after checking the couple out, the the doctor tells them that they're physically okay, but it might be a good idea to help with their memory if they write things down more so they can remember uh, better. And the couple thanked the doctor, and then they left. Well, later that night, they're home watching TV, and the old man got up from his chair, and his wife asked him, where are you going? He replies, to the kitchen. She asks, well, will you get me a bowl of ice cream? He says, sure. She then asked him, don't you think you should write it down so you can remember it? He says, no, I can remember that. She says, well, I'd really like some strawberries on top. You'd better write that down, just in case you're going to forget. He says, oh, I can remember you want a bowl of ice cream with strawberries. She replies, well... I'd also like some whipped cream on top. I, I know you forget that, so you better write it down. Well, now he's irritated. I don't have to write down. I, I, I can remember all of that. He fumes into the kitchen. After about 20 minutes, he returns from the kitchen and hands her a plate of bacon and eggs. She stares at the plate for a moment and says, I knew you were going to mess it up. You forgot my toasts. <laughs> Some of you are going, that's too real in my life. <laughs> I know, you know, I have trouble. You know, I go to the grocery store, and, and, and Lisa will send me, and she'll say, okay, just pick up four things. Four things I'm good with. Five, got to make a list. Four things. So I get to the store, I think, okay, i got to get four things. I don't remember what four things they are. And I'll get to three of them. I'll go, okay, there's got to be one more. One more. And I, I think, you know, we have trouble remembering things. But here's the thing. The ability to remember is an awesome gift that God gives to us. I mean, in a flash, you can be a kid again and remember, you know, running in the park, climbing a a tree, skipping rocks across across a pool or a pond, you know. You can go back to when you had your kids and and have children all over again, all through the memories that are fixed in our minds. Some of our memories are happy memories. They're exciting. They're wonderful. Some are, are sad, and we may weep as we remember them. For the most part, memories are very practical, you know, if, if, you can, if you can't remember that a red light means stop, you're going to be in trouble. If you can't remember the day of your wife's anniversary, you'll be in big trouble. I thought about this after first service. If, guys, if you're single here this morning, find a gal who was born on Valentine's Day, marry her on Valentine's Day, then you get all three anniversaries, everything all, all at once. That would be the way to go about it. I don't know if you can find one like that, but... You know, last Monday... And we didn't mention it last Sunday, we had a guest speaker, but last Monday we celebrated Memorial Day. Great day, a national day just to set aside all those who have lost their lives in service for our country. These men and these women, that gave their ultimate gift, their life, that we might have the freedom that we have. The freedom to gather together today to worship in freedom that many Christians around the world just do not have. And it's good to have a Memorial Day to remember, to remind us to be thankful, and to express our gratitude to those that are now still serving, and the families, the gratitude to the families of those that have, uh, those that are ser- uh, serving in our country as well. Well, in the Old Testament, remembering great acts of God was essential to their spiritual well-being, the spiritual well-being of God's people. Uh, think about uh, uh, about it. God directed that every year the Jews were to celebrate. Passover. They were commemorated year after year. Why? To remember. To remember what Jesus, what, what God has done, rather, for them through the passing over of their their homes. They they sprinkled the blood on the on the mantle and the doorpost, symbolizing really the cross, but the blood that that then spared their firstborn from being killed. So they were to remember that God delivered from Egypt. They would they would also have these festivals that they were to remember. The festival of Tabernacles, remembering how the Lord provided for them as they wandered through the wilderness. When they crossed the Jordan, they were to set up memorial stones to remember, so that later on the children would go by the stones and go, "Dad, what are those stones there for?" Oh, it reminds us what God has done. Now my kids would probably knock over the stones and be in trouble, but 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 the, they were there for a reason. They were reminders of what the Lord had done. They, they that they were to remember, remembering God's provision and God's protection and, and God's guidance. This morning we we celebrate communion. It's a time to remember what Christ has done for us upon the cross. So why all this focus on remembering? I forgot. And so, no. Stephen Wright, this old comic, used to say, right now I'm having amnesia and deja vu at the same time. I think I've forgotten this before. Now, the reason we're told to remember is because we as God's children, we have that tendency to forget the wonderful things that God has done. But that's the reason. In fact, Paul here, uh, it, it's, it's on his heart, uh, remembering, remembering Timothy, his son in the faith, remembering how he came to know the Lord. If you recall, Paul started out his letter in verse 3 of chapter 1 by saying to Timothy, I remember you in my prayers night and day. He said in verse 5 of chapter 1, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. In verse 6 of chapter 1, uh, he reminds Timothy about his gifts. He says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. Verse 13, Paul reminded Timothy to hold fast the pattern of sound words which have heard from me. Remember, remember, I'm reminding you of these things. Now, we know that Paul has been talking to Timothy about enduring hardships. You need to endure hardship as, as a good soldier. As an athlete, you must obey the rules. As a hardworking farmer, you need to share the word, planning it and seeing what God does with it. But, but it's not all for nothing. We're going to endure hardship, hardships, but in the midst of, midst of it, we need to remember three things. And those are our three points this morning. Paul tells Timothy, yes, we're going to endure hardship, but remember, he says, remember Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. Number two, remember God's word is powerful. And number three, remember God's promises are trustworthy. Number one, remember Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. Look at verse eight. Paul writes, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Now, you might go, it's kind of strange Paul telling Timothy to remember Jesus Christ, but it's not as though Timothy forgot who Jesus was. I mean, he's pastoring the church in Ephesus. But maybe he's put what Jesus has done in the back of his mind, all the things that Jesus has done for him. They're not at the forefront of his mind. Maybe he's getting caught up in doing all these things and doing this ministry, doing this for the family, doing this, and really not contemplating, not, not thinking about what the Lord has done. Maybe just going through the motions and, and not really taking into consideration all that God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. I think that's something we can all fall into. And so the, the reminder trust for us that remember Jesus Christ. And notice something else here. The order in which Paul wrote this, he says, remember Jesus Christ, not Christ Jesus. I know you might say that's nitpicking, but there's a difference here. Paul has referred to the Lord six times as Christ Jesus. He's going to go on to revert, refer to him four more times as Christ Jesus. But only in this verse, verse 8, does he refer to the Lord as Jesus Christ. And the reason I believe he's doing that is because he's, he's bringing to our attention the humanity of the Lord. Born as the man, Jesus, who suffered and died on the cross for our sins. In the same way, Paul is saying to Timothy, you may suffer and be persecuted just for being a Christian. Listen, you may be harassed at your job just because you're always smiling and always kind. That may irritate people around you. They may not want to work with you. Oh, i got to get rid of this person. He's always smiling, always happy because they don't know the Lord. And you may incur you know, persecution. Paul is saying, remember Jesus did suffer first for you and for me. Went to the cross, died for you, died for me. Hebrews 12, 3 tells us, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. And don't get discouraged. Keep hanging in there. Endure because Jesus went through this first for us. But that's not all. Paul says, remember Jesus suffered not. But also remember, he says in verse 8, that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead. That—that's the good news. That's the absolute good news. That's—that's that's the gospel. Now, now the verb tense means he was raised from the dead in the past, and he continues now as the risen one. In other words, we don't serve a, a dead a dead leader. We serve a living a living Savior. But let me say this: without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, I mean, our faith would be in vain. Paul writes that in 1 Corinthians fifteen fourteen, If Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. The whole basis for our hope, the whole reason we gathered together this morning is because Christ Jesus is raised from the dead. Peter tells us this in 1 Peter 1, verse 3-5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, we will be raised from the dead as well. One pastor said, Hope was dashed on Friday, but hope was resurrected on Sunday. So Paul's saying, Timothy, remember. Remember that the the power of Jesus Christ. He was raised from the dead. Don't lose sight of that. Listen, if you're going to be a, a good soldier who's enduring hardship... In order to please his commanding officer, the commanding officer needs to be alive. He can't be dead. And so Paul's saying, Timothy, remember that. You know, if you're conditioning yourself to be a disciplined athlete to run in the race for the prize, what good does it do you if there's no prize, if there's no heaven? You know, I was thinking about the John Lennon's song. I don't know why it came up in my mind, but imagine. I thought, man, that's one of the most hopeless songs ever written. And he doesn't have to imagine anymore. He knows there's a heaven. But, but you know, Paul goes on in First Corinthians 15, verse 15, 14 and 15. Back up, I'll say 14 again. If Christ is not risen and our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty, he goes on, yes, and we have found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ whom He did not raise up. In fact, the dead do not rise. If Christ is not raised from the dead, we have no hope. There's no future. There's no reward. There's no prize. And there's certainly no heaven. I mean, you could take that to Paul's third analogy, that of the farmer, the hard-working farmer, planting the seeds of the gospel, waiting for the harvest. What point is there if there's no resurrection? There'd be no seeds. There'd be no harvest. But here's the point. Again, praise God, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the fruits of those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. Yeah, Christ did it first, and we're going to all follow. We're going to go into heaven, his presence, there's a treasure, there's a there, There's the eternity, it's, it's awesome. So, the resurrection is key, that sets Christianity apart from all of the faith, faiths. We don't serve a dead leader, but a living Savior. So Paul says, remember. Now he goes on, remember Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead, according to my gospel. Now that's an interesting phrase. According to my gospel. Does that mean that, that Paul invented the gospel? No, not at all. Rather, that the gospel was revealed directly to Paul from the risen Lord, and entrusted to him. See, Paul took this as his, his own personal treasure. I love that. man. The gospel is the treasure. I mean, he just treasures the gospel. Something we never could afford. Something that given to us by our Savior. I think what Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Through the gospel, we receive Christ and His Holy Spirit dwells in us. That's the treasure we have. See, the Bible says that Christ came into this world to save sinners. That's you and that's me. That He saved us. That makes it our gospel. That makes it my gospel. makes it your gospel. And if you want to endure to the end, you must be able to say with Paul, my gospel, God saved me from my sins by His abundant grace. Now, we're also told we need to share that treasure with others, you know, as well. Don't be stingy. We, you know, we, we got it freely. We need to freely give uh, God's gospel out. So, number one, to endure hardship, remember Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. Number two, to endure hardship, remember that God's word is powerful. Look at verse 9. Paul is saying, yes, it's my gospel, says, for which I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God. Is not chained. I love that. Underline that that phrase. The word of God is not chained. That's powerful. So often Christians try to de- defend the word of God. You know what that's like? It's like trying to defend a lion. It's like, let the lion out of the cage. The lion will defend itself. You know, it just needs to be let out. But I think there's often times that we focus on on the things that we can or can't do. I can't do that because of this and I can't do that because of that. Or things we should say or shouldn't say. And and we don't give enough thought into remembering what the Word of God can do and the effect that it has on people's lives. I've shared this verse many times. Hebrews 4.12 The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Think about Paul as he's writing this. He's chained in a Roman prison. You would think that there's not a whole lot he could do from there. There's no way he could get outside of the boundaries of that dark prison cell. That he was not frustrated because he knew that the word of God was not bound, was not chained. Think about his first imprisonment in a Roman cell. It's there that he wrote the letter to the Philippians and said in Philippians 1.12, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Paul was guarded 24 hours a day six guards per day taking four-hour shifts to be with Paul and with each one he would share the word of God with them, the gospel. See, Paul may have been in chains but the word of God was not. Could you imagine being one of those guards? You know, you you take the first shift. No, I don't want to take the first shift. No, you take the first shift. No, that guy, he's always talking about God. He's a Jesus freak. That's all he is. I said this first ever, there's nothing wrong with being a Jesus freak. As long as you're all about Jesus and his word and not just, just a freak, then you have a problem there. But, but I mean, think about all what came about because of Paul's imprisonment. We have the prison epistles, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, uh, Ephesians. Paul was chained, but the word of God was not. And think about Ephesians chapter 6. The ladies are going to study it in the summer. The armor of God. Picture Paul sitting there on the ground, chained to a guard, you know. And he's looking at this guard all in his, his armor and go, you know, I think we need to have spiritual armor. And one by one he equated the guard's armor with spiritual armor. Well, look at his helmet, you know. That, that's like the helmet of salvation. And look at that, that breastplate he had, man. That's like the, 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 the breastplate of righteousness or that shield, the shield of faith. Look at those sandals. Those sandals are, are like our feet; they should be shod with the gospel of peace. Had Paul not been imprisoned, we may never have received such a great illustration of the Christian walk. My point is this: the word of God was not chained. Sure, Paul did not deserve to be treated the way in which he was treated, arrested on trumped-up charges, made up, no doubt, by the enemies of the gospel. But there he was, sitting there in the in the dungeon, you know, treated as an evildoer. But rather than complain. Paul rejoiced in the fact that no one can imprison the power of the word of God. Martin Luther, in his dying words, said the same thing. He said to quote, Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. Well, no matter what happened to me, happens to me, uh, Luther said, God's word remains unbound. We looked at this. Recently in our study in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God stands forever. Peter quotes the same thing in 1 Peter 1.25 or Paul in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. So that's an important message to have today to those who say, "Well, we need to soften the, the gospel message down. Don't bring up certain passages out of God's word, and 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 because you don't want to lose your freedom to preach it. Don't don't talk about hell. Don't talk about sin, and just skip over those sections of, of the Bible. That you know what, that you might as well quit being a church. Because here's the thing: if you, you're not going to be effective in changing people's lives, because it's the Spirit of God through the Word of God that changes the lives of people. Jesus said in John 8.32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. He said in 8.36, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Listen, when we go downtown and we share with the Go team, by the way, I want to thank you for those that have prayed for the ministry downtown. We did sense a presence, God's presence there and God did move and work in a mighty way. When you're down there and you know that you're prayed up, it gives you a lot more boldness to go and to share. But when we go downtown and we share, the, you know, we share with them the word of God. We share what the Bible says. Why? Because it's not changed. It sets the people free, free from the hold that sin has upon their lives and maybe it has had upon their lives for quite some time. You know, what I mean with a couple who's maybe struggling in their marriage and they're suffering and they're struggling, and I share with them the word of God. The Word of God is not chained. It goes forth and it doesn't return void. It works in our lives. It heals the broken, Jesus heals the brokenhearted. He sets the captives free through the Word. I think of John Bunyan, the author of The Pilgrim's Progress. He was in prison in this Bedford jail. His cell was in a building, uh, inside a high wall. And yet during the days, crowds would gather outside that wall to listen to Bunyan as he preached from his cell. I mean, can you imagine that? And his voice carried over the wall uh, through the bars of his cell window. Word of God's not chained. Oh, I love this story that I found I want to share with you. It's a story of, of Wycliffe Bible translators Bruce and Jen Benson. It goes like this. Many years ago, they were driving down a mountainside in the Peruvian Andes. As they came around the corner, they came bumper to bumper with a truckload of terrorist rebels known as the Shining Path. Men jumped out of the truck, brandishing automatic rifles, surrounded the Benson's car and ordered them to get out. Jan thought, this is it. This is the end of our lives. The terrorists took them to a nearby town. On the way, fearful and bewildered, Jan felt the need to pray and then to sing. And the Lord spoke to her heart. The Lord inhabits the praises of his people. She protested, but but Lord, I don't know how to praise you right now. Sing, the answer came. At least you can sing. So she began to sing. You are my hiding place. You always fill my heart with songs of deliverance. Whenever I'm afraid, I'll trust in you. And other songs follow. Jesus, name above all names. Emmanuel, God is with us. Suddenly she felt as though she was the only person alive on earth, just her and God. She felt His all-encompassing love and His assurance that he was in control. Nothing, not even death, could remove her from his presence. Well, that night, the rebels unexpectedly released the Bentons. But they confiscated their car, their portable projection equipment, and film reels of the Jesus films. You know where this is going. (laughs) One year later, the Bensons were living in the capital for safety. Jan received a phone call. One of their captors had become a Christian and wanted to meet with them. When they met, he told them that he was an experienced killer and that he and the others had planned to kill them that night. But for some reason, they just could not do it, and they released them instead. Then the rebels set up the projector and watched the film, eventually many, many times. At one viewing, several hundred rebels were watching and listening to God's word in their own language. Many were so moved that they wanted to lay down their weapons right then and there and leave the shiny path. And standing before this couple is now a fellow believer, their former enemy, who said to them, please forgive me for the part that we did to you that, that day, that evening. The Bensons were eventually able to go back to that village and finish the translation of the New Testament into that language. God's witnesses may be chained and imprisoned, but His Word cannot be. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God stands forever. Therefore, Paul says, look at verse 10, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul means that through his sufferings and preaching the gospel, God's elect would, would come to salvation and inherit the, the eternal glory that's in Christ Jesus. He says, I will endure all things for that. Now, many Christians, they get nervous when they, when they read that word elect. And they, they maybe try to minimize it or explain away its meaning. If you do that, I think you'll miss a key understanding to your salvation and a key component into, to why you need to endure hardship for the sake of the gospel. Don't dodge the, the doctrine of election by saying, well, that's just Calvinism. What you need to ask is it taught in the Bible? Paul could have easily said, or I do all things for the sake of those who will believe, but he didn't. It is taught. God does choose. And he, you know, and he chose you if you are a Christian. But let me say this. He also allows us to choose. So then if you choose God, then God chose you. If you don't, then God didn't. Well, how do I know if I'm chosen? Well, give your life to Jesus Christ, and then then you'll know that you're chosen. You've been elected. God chose you. Now, some people have a problem because they take it too far. They say, yes, God predestines certain people to heaven, but he also predestines other people to hell. And there's nothing you can do about it. If you're predestined to heaven, you're going to go to heaven even if you don't want to. They call that irresistible grace. And if you're, you know, predestined to hell, no matter what you do or what prayer you pray, you're not going to get into heaven because you've been predestined to hell. But they go as far as to say that that God does that predestining to hell according to His good pleasure, and it brings God's pleasure to send people to hell. What a blasphemous concept that is. How contradictory to what the Bible teaches. My Bible teaches that God loves humanity. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but all should come to repentance. My Bible teaches that God wants people to believe, and if they believe, then they will be forgiven. God does not predestine people to go to hell. He calls us to salvation. But He does give us that free will. We have a choice in the matter. We can say yes, or we can say no. See, Paul is saying he's willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those that God has chosen. Even if it meant Him being in chains, but the Word of God is not chained. And Paul proved it. And I I say, Lord, help us to prove to people that the word of God is not chained. So, to endure hardship, number one, remember Jesus Christ is our risen Savior. Number two, remember that God's word is powerful. Number three, our third point, remember God's promises are trustworthy. Remember God's promises are trustworthy. It's at this point in his letter that Paul reminds Timothy of an old familiar church hymn. Uh, He he starts out in verse 11. This is a faithful saying. Then he goes on to, to, if you would, I don't know if he sings it as he's writing it, but he he writes down this hymn. Look at verse 11 through 13. This is a faithful saying. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. You know, it's like he's saying, hey, Remember that great song that we do. You know, I know we do that all the time. As we're going through God's Word, you know, we're reminded of certain praise songs. And, and it just makes you want to sing that song, you know, as you're, as you're looking at it. You know, I read some Psalms, you know, when reading Psalms in the morning. And, and I remember some of the old songs that we used to sing out of the Psalms. I just want to sing that song right there. And I think that, you know, that's Paul's doing. He's, he's thinking about, you know, you know, this song, how great God is. I, I, I got a, a prediction for you. You know, in, in two weeks, when it's Father's Day, it's a big prediction. Churches all across America, I know we're going to be singing, Good, Good Father. <laughs> it's going to happen. We'll do it here. I mean, you'll laugh on the Father's Day. We will do it here. Why? Because, why? We're singing about how good our Father is. It's reminding us what God's Word says. He is a, a good Father. Well, Paul here, he's breaking out in song. There's four lines in this song. Three are positive. One is negative. We'll go through them kind of quickly. Look at verse 11. This one has kind of brought some confusion for years in the church. He says, For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. So that's the first first line of the song. Now, some people think that Paul is making this, this promise for martyrs. And the idea does seem to fit here in the context of this chapter that Paul is writing about enduring and facing persecution. And, and there's a promise that if we die... If they take our lives, we're not really going to die. We're going to go on to live with him, with our Lord. We have eternity to look forward to in heaven with our Lord. Now, I admit that seems to fit the context of what Paul is saying here. However, there are those who have a problem with that interpretation of of this verse because Paul writes it in the Aorist tense. Literally, he is saying, because we have died with him, we shall also live with him. That's a great interpretation as well. Because he's writing about how we identify with Christ at his death, and we can identify with him at his resurrection. We identify with him at his death, so then we can identify with him as we live this Christian life. Paul talks about this in, the, in uh, uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 3 through 7. He says, Do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And he goes on, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has has died has been freed from sin. And so I believe that that, that some are saying, this is what Paul is talking about here in verse 11. It's a symbol of baptism. You know, that spiritual sense, we go under the water, we're putting to death the old man, the old nature. We come out, and we have that newness of life, and we walk in that newness of life. See, I think the more we hold on to that truth, that the old man was crucified with Christ, the more we're going to live. The more we'll enjoy the new life in Christ now, and we have the hope of heaven. But the more we hold on to that old life, the more miserable we're gonna be. It's like, I like the, uh, what the owner of a, a dry cleaning and dying business posted on a sign on his, on his business, on the store. It read this. Now they, they do dry cleaning and they dye, dye garments and stuff. He said, we die to live, we live to die. The more we die, the more we live. And the more we live, the more we die. Think about that for a minute. Let it sink in for a little bit. But, but, but it's the truth. You know, spiritually speaking, you know, Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. So, one line in the song with two different ways of looking at it. Both are true statements, so pick your, pick which one you want, or take both. It's okay with me. Um, Then look now at the second line in the song. This gets us back to enduring. He says in verse 12, If we endure, we shall also reign with Him. Now remember, this whole chapter is about enduring. A soldier enduring hardship. An athlete enduring training. A farmer enduring the harsh elements that the seasons bring. That word endure means to hold your ground, particularly during affliction and suffering. And that's what Paul is saying, man. If you endure, hold your ground, Timothy. I know it's getting tough. Hold your ground. But, there's an incentive, he says. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. I like that. Now, Jesus was specific about it in Luke 19.17 when he gives the parable of the talents and uh, where the king says, Well done, the king explained. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with the, a little I entrusted to you. So you will be governor of ten cities as your reward. See, the Bible tells us that we're going to rule and reign with Christ when he returns at his second coming. That's kind of hard to comprehend. I mean, he's our king. He's our ruler. He's going to say, okay, I want you to rule and reign with me. But it's the truth. And here's what I think. I think there's going to be special assignments given to us, special privileges that God is going to give to us in recognition for those that endured affliction here upon this earth. Special things to do. I, I want you to go this over here because, man, you, you endured and you faced this on earth. I want you to do this for me. Ah, oh, yes, Lord. This is awesome. I get to do that. Now, the third line in this old hymn is a negative line, the only one in the hymn, and it gives a a solemn warning. Look at the end of verse 12. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Now, in the NIV, that word deny is translated disown, and I like that better. It seems to make it a little bit clearer. When we hear the word deny, I think of of Peter, where where he denied the Lord three times at the point of swearing and saying, I never knew the man, but, but Peter never disowned Christ. The fact is, after he denied the Lord, he was heartbroken over his sin. In fact, he he, he felt terrible that he could let his Lord down in this way. Yet Judas, on the other hand, look at his example, he disowned the Lord. He turned from him and turned him over to those that would kill him. Now, what's amazing to think about is is the Lord in Matthew's Gospel, when Judas is betraying Jesus, Jesus looks to Judas and says, Friend, who are you seeking? And I personally think by Jesus addressing Judas as a friend, he was giving Judas one more chance to not disown him. But we all know how the story ended. Judas didn't repent and instead he followed through with his plot. We'll not see Judas in heaven. But Jesus still gave him a chance. That's the heart of the Lord. But if a person wants to renounce Christ, if they want to disown him, Jesus doesn't force himself in anybody's life or on on anybody. Honor anybody. That he stands at the door of a person's heart and he knocks. And if you open the door and open up to him, he will come in with you and have fellowship with you. He'll be in your life. Yes, God is concerned for your soul. But if a person hardens their heart and resists the truth, Jesus is not going to knock the door down. He's going to let them have what they want. If they want to have nothing to do with them, he's fine. Then they have nothing to do with me. But the warning is the fate is not good. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I also will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now there are those who hear those words of Jesus like that and they go, well, you know, I know I'm not right with the Lord right now, but, but one day I'll get right. I'm just not just not ready to confess right now. Well, there's a couple problems with that. Number one is you don't know that one day will ever come. You don't know when your life will be over. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. So you don't know when that day will come. It'll be too late. But not number two, the longer you wait, the harder your heart is going to become. Every time you're brought face to face with your denial, with your sin, and you ignore it, your heart becomes harder. It's like the hardening of cement. The longer you're in it, the harder it becomes till your sin is completely cemented in your life. And it's in that rebellion I believe you're putting your eternal destiny at risk. The Bible describes a person who continues going down that road as their conscience being seared as with a, a hot iron. Listen, if you're here this morning, let Jesus break up that concrete in your life. Give your life to Him and let Him take control. Surrender ownership over to Him. Wake up before it's too late. And this brings us to our final line in the song, verse 13, which is a great comfort. He writes, If we are faithless... He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So whereas the preceding line was a warning, this is a promise, just like the first two lines. Line three is a good description of Judas who was disowned by the Lord, but line four is a great picture of Peter who had an episode of unfaithfulness, yet Jesus remained faithful. Remember, after the resurrection, Jesus came to Peter and appeared to Peter and reinstated and restored Peter. Now, why is God like this? Because that's who he is. He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself. God is faithful. He can't deny that. That's a part of his character. His faithfulness is rooted deep within his graciousness. We serve a, a gracious, loving God who gives us second chances and third chances. A God who's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. See, God is always, uh, always himself. He can't be untrue to his own nature. God is going to be faithful because that who, who, who's, who's, is who God is. Now the big question we, we, is, is are we learning to be faithful back? Are we going back and forth letting sin dominate our lives? I read that one described it this way. A lot of believers have sort of a yo-yo relationship with God. Up and down, they're either fully backslidden or passionate to the point of, of being obnoxious. And it's one day or the other. One day, Oh, praise the Lord! and I love this so much! Oh, I love Bible study! I love prayer! And it's, oh, I'm just totally backslidden. And I'm a sinner and sin again. I just went for it. What's wrong with you? I don't know. I, I just fell. I just crashed and burned. Listen, God will be faithful to do that work in you. But here's the big question. Are you going to learn Are you going to learn to to obey and trust the Lord or do you have to keep going through the same trials over and over and over again until you surrender completely to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Here's the thing Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10.13 in the New Living Translation. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. So you can stand firm against temptation. But the choice is up to us. He'll show us the way, but if you choose not to go that way, then there's ramifications there are consequences to our unfaithfulness. Paul is saying here that if we endure hardship with Him now, we'll be rewarded by reigning with Him in heaven. If we're faithless by not enduring hardship, we'll lose the rewards, but because of His faithfulness, we'll still be saved. He cannot deny Himself. So what do we do? Well, when we fail, we need to confess our sin, knowing that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But also know that our salvation rests solely upon God's faithfulness and grace, not our perfect record. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you're going to make it to the final destination. You're going to make it to heaven. God will see to it because He's faithful and because God's promises are trustworthy. Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Hebrews ten twenty three, let us hold fast the confession of our faith, of our hope rather, without wavering for he who has promised is faithful. God's faithful, his promises are trustworthy. Finally, the first part of verse 14, Paul brings it all back to the way we started this morning. He says, remind them of these things. Remember, 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 remember these things. What? Remember Jesus Christ is our risen Savior. We don't serve a dead leader but a risen Lord. Remember God's Word is powerful. The Word of God is not chained. Remember God's promises are trustworthy. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. He has begun a good work and you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to stop here now and we're going to close and we're going to spend a time now remembering the cross, remembering what Jesus Christ did for us upon the cross. When uh, Jesus was there in that upper room, gathered around his disciples, he he took the bread and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Why do we partake communion? To remember. To remember. Something we can hold on to that can take our minds back to the time that Jesus said those words so that we know that there's just more than words. It's a time for us to, to, to know the scope of what Jesus Christ has done for us. As His body was, was broken and beaten and bruised for our sins. As His blood was, was shed upon the cross to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It's time for us to remember that awesome sacrifice that was made for us. Now, Let me say this, if you're here this morning and you're not a, a believer, you're not a Christian, then this is not for you because you can't remember something that, that you don't believe Christ has done for you yet. I say, here's a better solution. I have a better idea. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Know what He's done for you. Remember what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. And the Lord will forgive you of your sin and, and as you commit your life to Him. But, you know, communion is also a time of recommitment to the Lord. As we look back at what Jesus Christ has done, it reminds us of His love and His grace that He's shown in our lives. It reminds us, you know, we need to, to recommit our life to the Lord. Lord, I want to serve you greater, love you more. Be a man or woman of your word in a greater capacity. Be used by you. We can pray for that, that recommitment. So let's pray together and we'll go into communion. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you for this opportunity, Lord, that we could... Uh, come to the communion table, Lord, and we look back at the time where you gather with your disciples and they're all around and they're not really sure what's going on and and you hold up that bread and you say, this is my body which shall be broken for you and then you hold up that cup and you say, this this cup is, is, is my blood which is going to be shed for, for all of our sins. Lord, I'm sure they didn't fully understand it but you've been saying it over and over again and now we look back and we remember, Lord, the love that you have for us by by going to the cross. We can transport ourselves, Lord, back to that time there and know, Lord, that you did this all for us. You took the pain, you took the suffering, the shame so that we could be set free, set free from the bondage of sin, from the guilt and the shame. And Lord, right now, if there's anything in our lives right now that we're holding on to, any sin in our hearts that's there, that, Lord, that should not be there, we want to confess it to you right now. We want forgiveness, cleansing, Lord, to come clean before you, knowing, Lord, if we confess our sins, you're faithful. You're just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Lord, your word also tells us by your stripes we are healed. Lord, the beatings that you took upon your body. So, Lord, as we remember the bread, it's your body that was broken for us, Lord. If there's a healing that we need here, a physical healing, Lord, we, we want to bring that to you as well and pray, Lord, that you'd heal us physically no matter what it is. From a common cold to, to uh, paralysis to, to a loss of a limb, Lord, nothing is too great for you. And so, Lord, if there's a healing here, we pray for that needed here. Lord, we pray for that. We pray for your will to be done. but Lord, we want to spend this time close to you, drawing near to you as we remember the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.